Hello, friends. This is your host, Prashant Daniel, and welcome to Ratio Vero, a podcast where we examine and analyze cultural and worldview issues from a Judeo-Christian perspective, more specifically through the lens of theology and apologetics. It is so good to be back again to record today. I think I took uh, some time off last week to, to get a couple of things done. So it is nice to be back again behind the microphone. And uh, just a reminder that uh, we are working through a series on reasons why the Christian church is apathetic to the Great Commission. And I would just want to do a quick recap of some of the reasons that we covered in our last episode. And those reasons were communication barriers and being comfortable in our own inadequacies. Now, you'll remember that under communication barriers, uh, we covered a few points uh, that A, we lack the courage to share the gospel. We talked about how most of us simply feel uncertain or insecure about striking up a conversation with someone about deep and meaningful things because we're afraid about what they might think about us or that we might offend them. But if we truly think that they need to hear the truth and that the truth will set them free, what they think of us should not be an obstacle. B, we talked about the fact that we lack clarity sometimes in sharing the gospel. And you'll remember that I shared with you a story of these two young women who came up to me and they eagerly shared what they thought was the gospel. And it absolutely wasn't. The point being that before we can share the truth to someone else, we ourselves must first know what it is we are trying to share. If we're muddled about the exact details of the gospel ourselves, then we're not going to do a good job sharing it. And lastly, we talked about the fact that we often lack confidence in the transformative power of the gospel. We try to diagnose and medicate ourselves or others with our own opinions or measures, Assuming that just like a patient needs to be prepared for surgery, we need to take some measures to prep them for the hearing of the gospel. And when we ourselves have reservations about the transformative power of God's truth, it shows and hurts the credibility of the message we are trying to share. I'm trying to remember if I actually said this last time or not, but I mean, there is, I think, a little bit of truth to things that we can say or things that we can do before we actually get to the gospel, right? Francis Schaeffer would call this pre-evangelism, the way you conduct yourself, the way you approach a person, the your, you know, kind of the the your tone of voice and, you know, listening to them carefully and not coming across like you have an agenda right off the bat. You know, there are a lot of those little little things that I think do make a difference, but ultimately If we ourselves at the bottom of our hearts don't recognize or don't truly think or believe that the gospel actually has transformative power, then that is going to show when we do talk about the gospel. Okay, so there is a little recap of some of the issues that we talked about in our last episode. And so today I want to talk about an interesting point. Um, I think that most of us don't necessarily uh, have this front and center in our minds because, well, because the reason is pretty self-explanatory. But today's topic is simply called taking the gospel for granted. The fact of the matter is that we all take the gospel 
for granted. You know, there's something about human nature that just makes us take things for granted. At first, you know, when we experience something new, we're all excited about it, it consumes us, it drives us, and it's all we can think about. We do this with all kinds of things, right? A new home, new car, computer, moving to a new state or country. At first, it's all good. And then something happens. It starts to wear off, right? The, the new becomes old. The exotic becomes familiar. And suddenly, it just doesn't have that appeal or excitement that it originally had. It reminds me of that saying, familiarity breeds contempt. You know, I'm not saying that to say that any of us may feel any contempt necessarily about evangelism or the gospel. But I certainly do think that when you become familiar with something, when it kind of becomes part of your everyday life and, you know, you just assume things about it, you can take it for granted. This phenomenon happens even in economics, right? If something is easily available, you know, like water or salt, it's cheap, it's affordable. But if it is rare or scarce, it is expensive and unaffordable. But what if water became rare? Suddenly, it would become valuable, right? As long as it remains easily available, we take it for granted. And I think this, can, this, this kind of phenomenon can bleed over into relationships as well. This can happen in relationships, right? It can include marriage. Sometimes they call that the honeymoon phase, right? And then the daily grind of life begins. Bills to pay and children come along. And, and on most occasions, if we're honest with ourselves, it feels like that initial magic is gone. And those of you who are married or have been for uh, any number of years will agree with that. And I want to contend to you that often even the gospel becomes too familiar to us. When we first heard or understood its truth and power, it moved us. It dazzled us, you know, and we were overwhelmed by it. And then several years go by and we kind of becomes a part of our everyday life and we're around it all the time. We're around people who believe the same as us. And, and suddenly, you know, it just kind of becomes familiar. We lose sight of that and not what the gospel is, but how it impacts us. So I want to show you three ways in which the gospel can become too familiar to us. Again, I'm not approaching this to show you how the gospel is valuable. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. I think all of you who are listening to this probably understand that already. And I'm sure there are many people and thousands and thousands of articles that actually talk about the importance of the gospel. That is not the angle from which I'm approaching this. Okay, I want to talk about how the gospel can become too familiar to us, uh, not because of it, but because of us, all right? And I think sometimes you need to have sort of a forensic evaluation of things in your own life uh, so that we can see it from a bigger perspective. Now, here's the first reason. The first reason is that we forget the magnitude of the bad news. What do I mean by that? You know, one of the reasons there's been a decline in the Christian faith over the last few decades is because Western churches have been enjoying, I think, a steady dose of warm, fuzzy Christianity that only talks about the love and the gentleness and the kindness of God. But it does not speak enough about the holiness or the justice or the wrath of God, right? And I have a personal creed of mine that I, that I often state, and it goes like this. 
We will never understand the significance of the good news if we don't first understand the magnitude of the bad news. Well, what is the good news? Well, John 3.16, probably the most famous Bible verse in the world, tells us that, right? What is the good news? That God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son for us, right? Well, what's the bad news? The bad news is Romans chapter 3, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 6 picks up on that, right? That the wages of sin is death. You'll remember the parable that Jesus tells Peter in the Gospel of Matthew of the servant who owed an unrepayable amount of money to the king, which the king forgave. And then, as soon as that man is set free, he goes out and bullies another man who owed him a relatively and significantly small amount of money, showing him no mercy or compassion. And when the king found out, he was terribly angry with the servant and punished him by forcing him to pay everything he originally had to pay. Now, even though this is a parable on forgiveness, the linchpin of this story lies in the fact that the servant who was forgiven much took his freedom for granted, right? He forgot so quickly how much of a debt was wiped from his account. And I want to contend to you that we might be guilty of the same thing. When we come to the realization that the debt we owed God for our crimes against him was an unrepayable amount of debt, we will naturally come to appreciate the magnificent gesture of mercy that God showed us by wiping that debt from our account. See, another consequence of underestimating our debt leads us to trivialize sin, right? We trivialize sin not only in ourselves, but in others around us as well. The trivialization of sin causes us to condone all kinds of human behaviors. Today, the murder of innocent babies in the womb is sanctioned and funded by the states. Same-sex marriage is legalized. Even deviant crimes like pedophilia is being considered as a clinical issue instead of a morally criminal issue. Little children are being forced into the LGBTQ lifestyle, and we can go on and on. I'm sure you all are aware of some of the depravity that surrounds us. But ladies and gentlemen, this is what we need to keep in mind. We have to continue to think of these things as serious, serious issues. It is easy to become desensitized when you are inundated in these issues all the time. And with the amount of information that surrounds us today and with the amount of access that we have to the internet and the news and social media, it is very easy for us to completely be swarmed by news like this and information like this. And even for those of us who may have conservative opinions on a lot of these things and who are deeply bothered by all the sin and evil around us, we have to recognize that if we are in it and surrounded by it all the time, even we can become desensitized to it. And that can cause us inadvertently to trivialize it, albeit subconsciously. So when we trivialize sin, we minimize not only the great lengths that God went to in order to redeem us, but we also trivialize his nature and character. And when we do that, we have taken the gospel for granted. We don't feel the urgency of taking it to the world. I mean, why would we? 
if we ourselves have lost the urgency of it in our own lives. So two important points there to keep in mind. Uh, we will never understand the significance of the good news if we don't first understand the magnitude of the bad news. And while it is important for us to think about the gospel and think of it as a good news, we have to keep in mind that there is bad news, which is why we need the good news. And lastly, we need to recognize the danger of trivializing sin. Trivialization of sin, like I said, uh, can also cause us to trivialize the nature and the character of God. And that is never a good thing. Well, I have a lot more to say on this, uh, but we are going to take a quick break. And as soon as we get back, uh, let's go ahead and wrap up this episode with another point for why uh, we take the gospel for granted. We'll be right back. All right, friends, welcome back. We are continuing on our topic for today, which is taking the gospel for granted. And before the break, I talked to you about how we uh, don't uh, understand the magnitude of the bad news, which is why we kind of take the good news for granted. But we also talked about how sometimes when we are surrounded or you know constantly in touch with uh, all the news of the evil and the sin and depravity around us, it can cause us uh, sometimes to trivialize the sin, to actually not take all that evil and suffering seriously. And that can be a problem as well. Now, I want to share with you another reason that we may take the gospel for granted is because we enjoy the peripheral benefits of our faith. What do I mean by that? The fact that we have the freedom to practice our faith and go to church publicly read the Bible and worship God without any fear of consequence or persecution is ironically the very reason why we might be taking the gospel for granted. You know, uh, as a person of Indian origin, I was born and raised in the Middle East. Now, thankfully, both um, Bahrain, the country that I was born in, and uh, South India, where I lived, um, there was not a lot of persecution. In fact, there wasn't any persecution at all as a Christian, okay? But I was very, very aware that there are powers, there are elements, there are laws, there are forces at work that prevent us from being too open about our faith. So, for example, even in the Middle East, even though we as Christians had the freedom of worship and we had the ability to uh, participate and attend, uh, you know, functions and things like that in our church, there was a law, a government state law, that said that we were not allowed to proselytize on the streets. In other words, we could worship, we could sing, we could pray, we could do whatever we wanted as Christians so long as it was within the confines of the premises of the church. But as soon as we stepped out uh, outside of church premises, uh, we are no longer uh, bound by that kind of freedom. We, we no longer have that kind of protection or that kind of freedom. Now we are out on, on public property. Now we are out on the streets, right? And if we decided to you know, hand out some tracts or decided to stand in the street corner and talk about the gospel, now that would be a problem. The government would come and they would arrest me right away if I attempted to do something like that. 
Now, obviously in India, I, I, I think there's a little bit more freedom, at least in South India where I lived. But I do know that there are still, you know, elements in society and, you know, in culture and there are some, um, you know, fringe extremist uh, parts of society, I think, that would have a problem with the things I, uh, that I do as a Christian. And they could certainly get involved and complicate things for sure. So the, why do I say all this? The reason is that in many parts of the world, this is simply a fact. This is simply a reality. And if the government doesn't get involved, then the culture, the mob will get involved. And that really can affect the freedom with which we practice our faith or even uh, share our faith. Okay, And I think here in the West, uh, we don't have those kinds of restrictions. We don't have that kind of blowback. And now I will say that it is starting to change. It is the, the culture is becoming more and more militant. It is becoming more and more aggressive against religious freedoms. And so I do think the tide is turning there. But for the most part, we have constitutional rights. We have the freedom of expression. We have the freedom of speech. We have the freedom of worship. And those freedoms, for the most part, still exist here in the West. You know, uh, it reminds me of um, last year. I know last year was kind of a blur for many people. But earlier in the year, we had the, the, the Democratic debates, I think. Yeah, the Democratic debates and the 2020 Democratic debates. And uh, it was hosted by CNN and it was kind of a town hall meeting. And I remember there were several candidates uh, at the time, and one of those guys was a guy called Beto O'Rourke. Uh, maybe that's a familiar name to some of you. Guys like Beto O'Rourke and even another guy by the name of Cory Booker stood up, and they openly said, they, they actually said this on live television, they said that if they became president, they would make sure that religious organizations would lose their tax-free status if they discriminated against the LGBTQ lifestyle. That was, that was kind of chilling to hear, okay? Now, I know this is, you know, some of us listening to this are like, well, I'm actually not surprised by that at all. That's probably the one kind of, you know, finger they have on the trigger that they can get back at us Christians with uh, is to take away our tax-free status. And so I'm sure that some of us, you know, even think, well, you know, this is kind of coming. But you know how this is going to go, right? This, this is how persecution begins. And I've always thought this, especially as someone coming from another culture. Um, in other cultures, in other parts of the world, you know, persecution can come through a threat to your life. It can come through uh, jail or, you know, something like that. It can come through some sort of personal harm that may come against you. But one thing that always was clear to me in the West was that persecution will often come through the law. It will often come through legalities. It will often come through the, the violation of policies or legislation. And you know where this is going. It, it begins with changing the laws to redefine what is considered hate speech. Right. And then anything, including sermons and evangelizing to LGBTQ people will be considered hate speech and punishable by law. And that is how churches, I, I foresee churches could lose their 501c3 status, which will ruin them, forcing them to shut down. Again, many states like California and New York are pushing for legislation to force public schools to introduce LGBTQ friendly curriculums and of recent even critical race theory. And the legislation is now pushing for that to be introduced into homeschool curriculums as well. 
And if you refuse, this will be considered detrimental to the child. It'll be considered neglect and Child Protective Services could step. Now, listen, some of you are thinking at this point, well, you know, Prashant, maybe you're being a little dramatic. You know, you're being an alarmist. You're committing this slippery slope fallacy. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, I want to tell you this. Somebody very wisely said a long time ago that the road to tyranny is paved with good intentions. The greatest cultural tyranny that is taking place before our eyes is happening under the guise of compassion for several groups, okay? We might be tempted to think, hey, no problem. You know, we'll just vote these guys out. Make sure they never get into office. You know, how long do we think we can do that? Not long. Um, we are already starting to see how the tide is changing. Now, let me just say this. I'm not, I'm not trying to be political, but hear what I'm saying. There may come a time in the not too distant future where in this country, in the United States, there will be open persecution against religious people and especially Christians. It is already happening. And this, I foresee, will very well result, I think in many dramatic circumstances or extreme situations, may result in even the confiscation of Bibles, the shutting down of churches, the criminalization of evangelism. The only thing left then will be the beautiful truth of the gospel that you carry in your hearts. And they cannot touch that. They can take everything else away from you. But this is why, this is why the gospel is precious. The gospel needs to be protected. The gospel is valuable. We cannot afford to take that for granted. In several of the countries that I've been to, you know, persecution comes in the form of violence or extremism. And I, I just mentioned this a little while ago. But Persecution in the West is going to come in a very, very different, uh, from a very, very different direction. And when all that we have is taken away, the only thing we will be left with is not the court of public opinion, but the court of the kingdom of God. And the only attorney that will be for us when everyone else is against us will be the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the central pillar and foundation of the gospel. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot and must not take the gospel for granted. So, what can we do to help us not take the gospel for granted? If we already do, what can we do to reverse that or counter it? I'm going to give you some unconventional tips. And you might think uh, it's kind of strange at first, but the point is to shake us out of the comfort of our complacency and face the bleak reality of living in a fallen world. The first tip is this. Read about Christianity in other cultures. One magazine I would recommend is Voice of the Martyrs. That's a fantastic magazine. I have a subscription to it. You know, we get it delivered to us um, every couple of months. And uh, man, it has some very, very important information about what is happening in the Christian landscape in many other parts of the world. Also read books like Operation World which is a fabulous resource, which gives you a breakdown of Christianity in other countries and, uh, you know, kind of the, the demographics and, you know, things like that. I would also recommend you read biographies of great missionaries and Christian pioneers like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Adoniram Judson. So why is it good to read all of this? Because firstly, it will help to remove us from the homogenous bubble of our own individualistic Western culture. In our lives, 
as we know it, we have become too comfortable and set in our ways that it is hard to change the way you see the world as long as you have only one single vantage point. This is why reading outside of the trappings of our own culture will give us a different vantage point from which we can appreciate the gospel better. Another tip I would give you is to expose your intellect and emotions to historical persecutions that Christians have faced around the world. Now, some of you might be like, wait a minute, why on earth would I do that, Prashant? Why on earth would I put myself through something morbid like that? Well, that's precisely the point. Reading about the great lengths that Christians have gone to for the sake of the gospel will help recalibrate our thoughts and emotions on what holding to the gospel will cost us. There is a cost. Jesus said, if they persecute me, they will persecute you. So we are to expect that whatever is the Christian's worldly liberties today may not be a liberty tomorrow. And when that happens, we will be left only with our spiritual liberty, which is far greater than anything this world can offer us. If you haven't already uh, read it, get your hands on another book, I think is a, it's a difficult book to read, but a very important book. It's called The Fox's Book of Martyrs, which is probably one of the most detailed and chronicled record of early Christian persecution. It is hard to read, but may I suggest to you, as counterintuitive as it may sound, that it is refreshing for the soul. It will help recalibrate our hearts and minds toward the necessity and the value and the beauty of the gospel. There is a cost, but man, is it worth it. It is worth it for the kingdom of God. Well, that'll do it for this week, folks. Definitely make sure to stay tuned for the next episode in this series. If you're interested in getting more information on what I do or additional resources, please visit reasonabletruth.org. That is reasonabletruth.org. If you found this podcast helpful, please recommend it to your friends and family and encourage them to subscribe to it so they can stay up to date on all our latest content as well. Thank you once again for joining us for this episode of Ratio Vero. And until next time, God bless and have a great week.